No emergencies yet, Horacio? <laughs> um, if you want, if you'd like, if, if you have a Bible or electronic device, you can go ahead and turn to Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel. That's, uh, I think it's eight back from the Psalms, if you know where the Psalms are. Eight back, we'll, I think it's eight, we'll get you to the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll be beginning in chapter three. Chapter three. But it'll take me a few minutes to get there as it normally does. So, two weeks ago we were in Psalm 97. And, uh, yeah, Psalm 97 put me on this train of thought about being glad in the sovereignty of God. Let me just read a couple of verses from Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Amen. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Be glad in the Lord, your right, you righteous ones, and give thanks to His holy name. And we talked about two reasons two weeks ago why God's reigning sovereignty should bring joy to us. I also reminded you last week. Does anybody remember one or both of the reasons that we should be joyful in the sovereign reign of God? There, there are many reasons, but we, we talked about two in particular. Anybody recall? So, yeah, I put you on the spot. I understand. Um, <clears throat> one, our eternity secure. Amen? Since God saves, and He's sovereign, when He saves, you can't be unsaved. Okay? I know there's some false teaching in what is called the church. It's in His hands. Our eternal security is in the sovereign reigning hands of God. We can be glad. The other thing we talked about, another reason we can be glad, Daniel 11.32, the people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. We can actually live the Christian life. We are empowered to live the Christian life because He is who He is, right? So we don't have any excuse before God. He's the Almighty Sovereign reigning God. We have no excuse. If we don't go out in the world and live it, it's because we simply don't want to. You know, ultimately, you do what you want. At the end of the day, you can make a thousand, a thousand excuses, but at the end of the day, you always end up doing exactly what you want to do. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. So there'll be no excuse. You know, we're not going to stand before God and say, well, I couldn't get it done. I, I, I didn't have the, 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 the power or the, the talent or the initiative wrong. He brings it all. He brings it all. So we can do the Word because He is who He is. So, uh, again, Psalm 97 put in my mind a couple of sermons. Last week we talked about Esther. Anything, anybody remember anything about Esther? Noteworthy. If I perish, what? I perish! I'm going, to, I'm going to obey the Lord. If I perish, I perish. And what is perishing for the believer? What is it? It's gain. It's always gain. Right? It's always gain. So she said, if I perish, I perish. And you know the rest of the story. So we looked at Esther last week. Tonight I want to look at uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And over in Daniel. And then we're going to move over and look at Stephen in Acts, Stephen, the Lord Jesus' first martyr. But first I want to start like this. How many of you are familiar with the tapestry illustration? 
So I'm laying the groundwork here. The tapestry illustration is to help lay the groundwork for the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, and what seems to be confusion. So what, anybody familiar with the tapestry illustration? Okay. You know what a tapestry... A, a tapestry on the top side is beautiful, right? It's beautiful. It's well-ordered. It's designed. It's, it's a thing. It's a masterpiece. But what does a, a tapestry look like under, underneath? Have you ever seen one? It's awful. It's terrible. It's mass confusion. It's, uh, many times it's just loose threads hanging. And it's, um, yeah, it looks really, really bad. It makes no sense. There appears to be no design in it. You can perceive no design. But on the top side, it's a masterpiece. Right? So there's something we can learn here. God is the master artisan. He's always working on a masterpiece. And if you belong to Him, (laughs) um, you're part of that. While all we can see in this life is the backside of God's tapestry, we are supposed to believe that there is design and order and ultimately beauty in it. Just because you can't see it yet doesn't mean that God is not at work. I want to share this legend with you. Again, this is certainly not biblical. I think all of you would know that. This is a legend about Moses. Uh, Again, I think it underscores the point I want to try to make to you tonight from Scripture. The legend goes like this. One day, Moses was sitting at a well meditating. First man comes up, gets a drink. He unknowingly drops a purse of gold and he's on his way. Second man shows up for a drink, has a drink, he finds the purse of gold. He's very excited. He picks it up. He's on his way. Third man comes to drink from the well, right? He comes and he gets the drink and he decides to rest in the shade of the well and he falls asleep. In the meanwhile, the first man discovers what? He's lost his purse of gold. He figures he must have lost it at the well, so he beelines back to the well, and who should he find there but man number three taking a nap. Man number one accuses number three of finding his gold. An argument ensues, of course, because number three doesn't have the gold. And man number one kills man number three. Moses complains to God about this. Again, this is a legend. Moses complains to God about how messed up this is. He says, why should the first man lose his purse and become a murderer? Why should the second man uh, have gotten a purse full of gold without working for it? Why should the third man, who was completely innocent, be slain? As the legend goes, God explains the design and the apparent chaos God says, the first man was a thief's son and his purse contained money stolen by his father from the father of the second man. The second man in finding the purse only received what was his. And the third man, he was a murderer whose crime had never been revealed and who received from the first man the punishment that he 
deserve. Then God said to Moses, in the future, believe that I am at work in what transpires even if you can't see it or understand it. It's always the tapestry thing, beloved. I want you, to, I want you not to forget this illustration. It's always the tapestry with God. You can't make any sense of it. You can't parse it. But God is creating a masterpiece in His providence. He's bringing you, as we always say, Romans chapter 8, into conformity with His Son. So we know God is doing a billion things all at once. There's no way that we can figure it all out. But it's a question I get a lot. And, you know, why this, Jim? Why that? Why this? Why that? I don't know. But I do know this as a Bible believer. <laughs> Romans 8.28 is true. God will work it for your good. I know that. Is that not enough? Is Romans 8.28 Romans 8, not enough? Is that not enough? Is that not enough promise for you? When it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when it gets costly and expensive to be a Christian, is that not enough for you? Is Romans 8.28 not enough? I think it needs to be, beloved. I think it needs to be. I say this to you all the time. God doesn't owe you an explanation. I can't give you a full explanation except what God's Word says in a particular instance. And God will not give you one. It's not His desire to explain Himself, to explain His providences. What are we supposed to do in the providences of God? Ask for an explanation or what? Trust the Lord, right? Just simply trust the Lord. It's not complex. <laughs> we trust God. We trust what God is doing even when we cannot understand it. I love what the old Scottish preacher said. You always know what God is going to be like. You never know what God is going to do. Amen? I have a strong distaste and distrust for people who tell me they know what God is going to do. That's a little bit arrogant. A little bit presumptuous. Lest there's something coming right off the Word, right? Coming out of the book. Lest God has made a promise in the book. Then we know it's true. But I mean, you know, you got people out there saying, well, I know what God's going to do in this circumstance. You always know what He's going to be like. He's going to be just like Himself. Always perfect in character. Always holy. Always righteous. Always just but we really don't know exactly what He will do in each circumstance. Just read your Bible. Just read the Bible, right? So as God's people, we don't need an explanation. We have His promise. We don't need an explanation. We have His promise. I wouldn't trade one promise for 10,000 explanations. I've said this to you many times, but I want you to remember it next time you get in a hard spot. And you expect God to explain exactly what He's doing. He's not going to. But it's an opportunity to worship the Lord. The maturing Christian doesn't waste time seeking explanations when we can, in fact, simply be worshiping the Lord. So what is God's promise to His people? I said it already, but I'm going to break it down for you. Romans 8.28. And then I'm going to get into the texts. Romans 8.28. God says, I will cause. Okay, first thing I want to say, I, 
He's going to do what? Who is this? Who's speaking? The God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. This is the God who's speaking to us. Actually, the word I is not in the text. But God is speaking to us. The God who effortlessly speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. This is the one who's saying to you, I will cause. What does cause mean? I looked it up. What does cause mean? To make happen, to bring about, to produce, to instigate, to create. God says, I will cause all things. Alright? Not a few, not some, not several, not many, not most. All things. Each and everything, the whole thing without exception. All things comprehensively in their entirety, in their totality. All things. I will cause all things to work together in concert, jointly, concurrently, in sync. I will cause all things to work together for what? You know, good, right? It will work pleasantly, agreeably, beneficially, advantageously. You've got to believe this stuff, man. God means for you to believe what He says. Romans 8.28 It's the biggest promise in the Bible. It undergirds every other promise. It's huge, beloved. I will cause all things to work together for good to those who love me. Those called according to my purpose. I wouldn't trade that for 10,000 explanations. Just a few promises that I just, just for fun, before we get into the text. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84.11 And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will rejoice over them to do them good. Jeremiah 32.40 God says, I act in behalf of the One who waits for Me. Isaiah 64.6 6. So we're all the way back to Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? So again, as always, the Word of God sets us free, right? The Word of God is just setting us free as we are encouraged by who He is and what He has promised. Maybe it's one reason God never gives an explanation in particular circumstances. He expects that you don't need one. I think that's powerful. He expects that you don't need one. You don't need one. Why? Because He is who He is. He's promised what He's promised. He just expects that you don't need it. And beloved, you, you shouldn't need it. You shouldn't need the explanation. So we can walk through any circumstance because He reigns. Even when it's hard, even when we cry, Hebrews 11.37, even when we get sawn in two, we can trust the Lord. And so we will see tonight, sometimes God delivers His people from the trial. And with Stephen, we will see that God sustains His people in the trial. Shadrach and the boys are going to get delivered. Stephen's going to get stoned. How do we understand this? How do we understand this? God's at work in each circumstance to bring about good. As C.S. Lewis says, the complex good, right? 
Not the simplistic, you know, superficial, just merely temporal good, the complex good, the eternal good. God is bringing an eternal good out of the particular circumstance. Sometimes God puts His raw power on display and He delivers His people. Shadrach and the boys. Sometimes God puts His beauty and sufficiency on display and He sustains and satisfies His people in the midst of the trials. The account of Stephen. So let's begin with Daniel chapter 3. And I just want to encourage you to put yourself in the shoes of these characters. You should always put yourself in the sandals of the men and women you encounter in the Bible. Um, Again, this is not an academic study. God means for you to learn personally from these accounts. Daniel chapter 3. Again, eight back from the Psalms. Go to the Psalms and count eight books back and you'll be in Daniel. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar built a golden idol, 90 feet by 9 feet. Okay? He built a golden idol. He was very proud of it. Drop down to verse 6. He demanded that all bow down to it under penalty of death. Right? Drop down to verse 12. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. Verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar was outraged and he had them brought before him. So I'm picking up here in verse 14. You can follow along. I'm going to read, summarize. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Nebuchadnezzar talking to the boys. Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the music, fall down and worship the image that I have made, and all will be well. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, And what God is there who can deliver you out of that? Out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. Verse 17. If it is to be so, our God... I love this verse. (laughs) I love this verse. 17 and 18. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand O king well temporally or eternally right is what's being said there verse 18 you gotta love verse 18 but even if he does it right he they don't presume to know what God is going to do now you know these guys that are out there naming it and claiming it right and speaking a word of faith saying they know what's going to happen because they have enough faith This is presumptuous, beloved. I love these guys, right? They know God can deliver them. They don't presume to know that He will. And He says it, you know, you got to love it. Even if He doesn't, we're not going to bow to you, right? Even if He doesn't save us, we're not bowing to your stupid idol. You got to love these guys, man. Okay, here's one point. When the pressure came, I don't want you to forget this. When the pressure came, suddenly the pressure came. They were ready. They were ready. When the heat was on, and it's about to be literally on, 
they were ready and they stood firm. Are you ready to stand firm? Are you ready to stand firm at the university? Are you ready to stand firm at the job? Are you ready to stand firm in your home? God means for you to be ready. It's why we do this. It's why we open the Word. It will be built up. We'll be ready when we're out there and things start to go awry. Verse 18, But even if God does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We may die, but we will not compromise. We entrust ourselves to the good pleasure of God, to the complex good of God. The good we can't begin to understand, but trust is in His providence. Man, this is just freedom, beloved. It's just freedom. To be ready to live every day like this. Every day like this. I love these texts. They know God can deliver them. They do not presume to know He will. I'm going to say it again. I've already said it twice. They know God can deliver them, but they do not presume to know that, his, that He will. Their obedience is not preconditioned on what God will do or will not do. You got it? It's not preconditioned on, or, or based on some presupposition of that if I do X, God must do Y. Because of my word of faith, my sovereign words of faith constrain God. Beloved, this is heresy. Your words are not sovereign. They're never sovereign. God's word is sovereign. Their obedience is driven by their unconditional love for God and their absolute trust in Him. They trust in His infinite power. Yes, He's the God of Angel armies, we should have seen this song. Angel armies, I always love that imagery. I think it comes out of the Message Bible, doesn't it? I think it does. I always love that. I love that term. He does whatever He pleases in heaven and in earth. <clears throat> he can save, but if in His perfect wisdom He does not, we trust in His purposes and we rest in His sovereign good pleasure. Beloved, what's the tapestry about? What's the tapestry about? What's the whole thing about? It's not about you and you'll have a nice little life. A nice little middle class, upper middle class, or higher life. It's not. God has something way more beautiful than that for you. He may give that to you. But He has something way bigger. Way bigger than that. He's going to give you Himself. It is about Him. It is about Jesus. We were created by Him and for Him. It's all about Jesus. And to the degree that you give yourself to Jesus and align yourself with Jesus and obey the words of Jesus, you will live like you've never lived before. This is the abundant life that He talks about. It's all found as you increasingly give yourself away to him. And again, I, I just want to say it so you don't forget. They were not surprised when the pressure came. They were ready. They knew what they were going to say before the pressure came. Do you? Do you know what you're going to say before your boss asks you to do something illegal? Do you already know what you're going to say? 
Do you know what you're going to say at the university when your friends scorn you for the position you take? Do you already know what you're going to say? Do you already know what you're going to say in the family when the pressure comes from some unbelieving member? Do you already know what you're going to say? You should know. You should know that there would be no compromise. Shadrach and the boys, <laughs> they were ready, man. Hey, you know, whatever God does, that's God's business. We're not bowing to your stupid idol. They just trusted the Lord. I love, I love this text. So, they did their job. They were ready. They stood. Let's see what God does. Verse 19. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than normal. Verse 20. Tie them up. He tied them up. And he ordered they be cast into the blazing fire. Verse 22. The flame of the fire was so fierce that it slew the men who threw the boys in the furnace. Verse 23. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and he stood up. They were thrown into the fire. Let me go back to 23. The boys fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to the high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to, to the king, Certainly, O king. you got to love verse 25. He answered and he said, Wait, look, I see what? What does he see? Four guys in there. There's four guys in there. Now you know who the fourth guy is, right? We all know who the fourth guy is. Who is it? Pardon me? It's the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ, right? Nebuchadnezzar even says, there's four guys in there. Loosed and they're walking about in the midst of the fire with no harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of... The gods. So Jesus, Jesus is there. Now we're going to see Jesus in Stephen's trial too. It's going to be different, but he's going to be there. What do you take away from these two examples, these two biblical illustrations? When it gets hot, when the pressure comes, what can you expect? That you've been abandoned by God? No, your average biblically illiterate professing Christian would feel that they have been abandoned. Don't you ever entertain the thought that you've been abandoned by God. I don't care how bad it gets. It's going to get really bad for Stephen over in Acts, chapter 6, 7, and 8, right? He never once entertained the thought that he had been abandoned. Why is James 1-2 not stupid? According to John Piper famous preacher in the States. James 1 is not stupid. What does James 1 say? Consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Why is that not a stupid statement? Because God is sovereign. That's why. God is sovereign in the providences of your life. That's why that's not stupid. If the trial's here, God's here. It's always true. It is always true. God is good. He's sovereign. And He comes to His people. I heard this text preached by John MacArthur one time. And he had, he's, he's obviously much brighter than I am in every conceivable way. But he had four points. 
you know, some preachers have points. I'm not really a point guy. I just kind of preach through the text. But he had four points. They were, listen to this. You're going to love it. You're going to say, man, we should get a guy like that preaching here. Shadrach, Meshach, and the boys. They were different, dedicated, daring, and delivered. How about that? How about that? Don't you love that? Different, dedicated, daring, and delivered. I'm not that smart. I can't come up with all the D's like that. That's what God did in their lives. There's one more point here that he, he, he did not emphasize, and probably because he couldn't think of a D word. Um, let's look at the result of the faith of these men. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the fire and he said, Come on out of there, you servants of the Most High God. Verse 27. And all the officials gathered round and they saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies, nor their hair, nor their head, nor, nor were their trousers damaged, nor the smell of of fire even come upon them. So how do the unbelievers respond? How do the unbelievers respond? When you stand out in the world and you just worship Christ, right? How do, what do, the, how do the unbelievers respond? They may not acknowledge it to you, but there are times when God will use the trial just like this. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent His angel and delivered His servants who put their trust in Him. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speak anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. There is no other God who is able to deliver like this. What happened? God was honored. God was honored. God was honored in their faith. Guess what? God desires to be honored in your faith. He desires to be honored in your faith out there. It's easy to have faith in here. We all have faith in here. He wants wants the world to see your faith out there. Right? He gets glory, even in the eyes of the unbelievers. He gets glory. So, beloved, we must stand and be a Christian. You remember what Jesus told the disciples, Luke 21.13, when it gets hard, what? This will be your occasion for your testimony. When it gets hard, this is the occasion for your testimony. Who doesn't love the story of Shadrach and the boys? Different, dedicated, daring, and delivered. Well, let's turn over to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We find the story of Stephen. He loved and trusted God too, right? He loved and trusted God too. But we could adopt a different sermon outline for him. Small alteration, different, dedicated, daring, and dead. Okay? So how do we talk about this? How do we understand this? Was God unfaithful? Was He untrustworthy with regard to Stephen? Was He not paying attention? Did this one slip past Him? Is He not a promise keeper? Or was God doing one of those complex good things that nobody on the surface can see or understand or interpret? 
Acts chapter 6, let's pick up here. Uh, Stephen, Acts chapter 6, verse 8 tells us that he was full of grace and power, performing uh, wonders and signs. The Jews were jealous. Uh, verses 12 through 14, they dragged him before the council with false testimony. Verse 15, Stephen's face was like that of an angel. In chapter 7, most of you probably remember, chapter 7 is just this long sermon that he preaches before the Jewish council. It's actually the history of, of Israel. It's not an okay, I'm okay kind of sermon. It's not a Joel Osteen kind of sermon. Um, so we get down to verse 51 of chapter 7. Verse 51 of chapter 7 in Acts. Stephen says, You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. Whose betrayers and murderers you have not become. Verse 53, You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So he indicts them. He indicts the Jews who brought false testimony against him. He calls them betrayers and murderers. We'll pick up here at verse 54. Chapter 7, Acts. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at Him. This is what we see in hell, right? What is this gnashing of teeth? What is it? It's rage. What's the rage in hell? It's a rage at God. You know, the, the occupant of hell is never coming out. He hates God. This is, what gnashing, this is just an example of the gnashing of teeth. Verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And who did he see there? Who did he see? Who made himself uh, obvious to Stephen? Obviously, the Lord knows about what's going to happen. And I'm pretty sure Stephen's pretty sure what's going to happen. But what does he see? Who does he see? He sees Christ standing at the right hand of God. Christ is never standing at the right hand of God. He's always sitting at the right hand of God. Why is he standing at the right hand of God? Well, it's conjecture. But it sounds like something Jesus would do, right? He stands to receive His first martyr. His first New Testament martyr. So, verse 30, pardon me, verse 56. And He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57. And they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears. And they rushed upon Him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of who? <laughs> Saul, who is who? Saul, who will become the Apostle Paul. Verse 59, And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. So, again, Jesus has come. He came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and He has come 
to Stephen. There's one thing we need to see in the martyrdom of Stephen. God in His infinite wisdom and sovereignty purposed not to deliver one of His redeemed. He could have done it very easily, but He doesn't do it. He's working a complex good. While God doesn't deliver him, there's no way He has abandoned him. And I love this. I think Stephen is doing what any mature Christian will do. He looks right through death. Some of you have been with people who have died. The, the, the Christian seems to look right through it. Right? It's like they can see right through it. This is not the end. This is the best day I've ever lived. I know it. To live as Christ to die is gain. So I think Stephen is looking through it. And he sees the Son standing at the right hand of God. God doesn't deliver Stephen, but God is with Stephen. God comes to His people in deliverance and in martyrdom. He always comes. Our God is so awesome. This is the beauty of the cross, right? Our God is so awesome that He turns death into gain. He turns death into glory. He turns death into praise. It's infinite glory and praise. You know the great text, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Couldn't help but think of Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Um, American theologian David Pallison, I always loved what he said. I, I think it was in a book. I think I read this quote. He says, As a Christian, you're 100% certain to suffer. And it is 100% certain that Jesus will meet you there. So Jesus comes to deliver and He comes to sustain. Isaiah 55, you know the great text. His thoughts and His ways are infinitely above ours. Now we can see some small part. We can discern some small part of what God is doing, some of the complex good. We'll see it here in chapter 8, verse 1 and following. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. So what happened? What happened when the persecution arose? What happened? God's complex good happened. What He commanded to happen when He, was, when he ascended into heaven, right? Go and tell. They were scattered all over the region. The church was scattered because of the persecution. God had a complex good going on here. He's going to save souls through the church being scattered. So we get some sense. We, get, we can see it, actually, in this text. Verse 3, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He put them in prison. Verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered went about doing what? What did the ones who, had, who were scattered do? What, what did they do? They preached the Gospel. Stephen's martyrdom was worth it. God was doing a good Thing. This was not random. This was not meaningless. You know, it's the church growth movement of the book of Acts. Preaching, prayer, and persecution. I want to say this. For the believer, there's never meaningless or non-essential suffering. It's, there's always a purpose in it. You know, the unbeliever, it's just meaningless. It's just meaningless suffering. 
for the believer, this is never true. And no doubt, Paul saw, or saw Paul watching Stephen be martyred. He can't help but think that a seed had been planted. I want to quote John Piper again in talking about these things, about the sovereignty of God, the reigning God in our providences. He says, he says, you can't be a real Christian if you don't understand this. If you don't understand this, you'll, be, you'll always be tied up in a knot, worried about things, instead of simply trusting God. You won't be able to be ready like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. You're not going to be ready when the heat comes. You're not going to give the testimony that God would have for you to give. You need to believe and understand that God is working in some mysterious, beautiful, complex way when you don't understand. It's what we saw in Esther last week, right? <laughs> All of these... I uh, can't remember what I called the sermon on the podcast. Um, all of these unnoticed or un, no, undetected providences of God saved the Jewish people. It really turned on the fact that the king couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. So he had a servant read the Chronicles. The whole thing changed. Because God reigns. You know, man, we gotta get we gotta get to where we believe he's doing this stuff, man. We, yeah, we won't settle for living like the world when we do. So God decides when to deliver His people from suffering and He decides when to sustain them in the midst of that suffering. This is God's prerogative. In the faith of His people, sometimes He supernaturally delivers from suffering. In the faith of His people, sometimes God supernaturally satisfies in the midst of the suffering. You can't read your Bible and not understand that this is true. <laughs> you have to be a censor or an editor to, 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 to read your Bible and not understand that what I just told you is true. Sometimes God delivers, sometimes He doesn't. It's always Hebrews 11. Um, by faith some escaped by the edge of the sword. Verse 34. By faith some were put to death by the edge of the sword. Verse 37. In the faith chapter, God wants you to understand. <laughs> you don't always know what He's going to do. You know what He's going to be like. You just don't know what He's going to do. Probably seven out of ten times we're right. But we don't really know. He's working a bigger good than we can fathom or comprehend. So this is basic Christianity. We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to eat this. We're supposed to incarnate this. And I'm going to go back to John 11. We, we were in John 11 last year, I think, and, and I'm closing now. Uh, for those of you who are ready for me to close. Um, anybody remember John 11? you got to know John 11. you got to love John 11. You should like... Almost, if you've got a good young mind, you know, good young mind, memorize it. Lazarus was sick, and Martha and Mary called to Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? 
He tarried for two days. The text says He loved them, so He waited. Now wait a minute. He loved them, so He waited. How is that love? He's going to do a complex good. <laughs> He's going to, you know, do something huge in their life. He's going to reveal Himself in a brand new way that they could have never imagined or expected otherwise. You've got to love John 11. He loved them, so He waited two days. He put Mary and Martha through an arduous trial. This is the tapestry. This is the tapestry, beloved. This is the complex good. You remember some of the things He accomplished. Remember what He told the disciples? He says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Remember what He said? I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. He's talking to the twelve. I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. Why? Because I'm going to build your faith through this. Do you remember also what happened? Do you remember many Jews were converted when you know, he called the dead man out of the tomb? Many Jews were converted. Also, Martha and Mary had this great privilege to watch that no be turned into a more beautiful yes, right? They asked for Jesus to come. He said no. By His actions, He said no. But in His no was a more beautiful yes, a more powerful yes, a more life-altering yes. He didn't just heal their brother. He called, him out of, he called him out of the tomb. Listen, when God tarries, <laughs> you, almost have to, you almost have to smile to yourself. I'm serious. Because <laughs> you don't know what He's about to do. You don't know what good thing he is about to do. So, God is always at work on that eternal tapestry. All we can see right now is the underside of it. It looks like chaos. We really can't see or even imagine how beautiful the tapestry is. But because Romans 8.28 is true, we trust that the master artisan is creating a masterpiece. So I'm going to close with first pardon me, Second Corinthians chapter four, verses sixteen to eighteen. Let me close with that. I'm just going to read it to you. Second Corinthians four, sixteen to eighteen. Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Beloved, I hope you own this sermon. I hope it's real for you. It needs to be real for you. You need to know God like this. You need to know God like Shadrach, Meshach in Abednego. You need to know God like Stephen. God is always just setting us free. So tonight, maybe one or more of you have been set free to trust the God who reigns. It'll it'll change your life. Trust, not some little caricature God, trust the God who reigns in heaven and earth accomplishing all His good 
pleasure. Let's pray together.